Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. This is the word of the Lord. Why don't we spend a short moment just moving around, welcome each other, quickly welcome each other, especially those who are visiting. So let's do that for a short moment. All right, if we can get back to our seats. Now, if you keep your Bibles open up to Matthew chapter 4, there is also an outline of the sermon. You might find that helpful. So if you'd like one, you can grab one. They are up out the front. Well, let's turn to our God in prayer as we work through this passage. I'll pretty much be working through the whole, whole passage verse by verse. So let's pray to God for his help. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, Please help us. Give us open ears and open hearts to hear what we are to learn about the Lord Jesus, what he came to do. We pray, Lord, that lives might be changed today as we hear this word. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, what do you reckon about this statement? Everyone has a price. Everyone has a price. What about this one? It's elaborate, elaborated a bit more by some Colombian drug lord. This is what he said. Everyone has a price. The important thing is to find out what it is. What do you think? Do you all have a price? A price that is paid to you to make you do things. But what about this statement? This is George Washington. He said this. Few men have virtue to withstand the highest bidder. What do you reckon? Everyone has a price. Do, do you have a price? Well, of course, this depends on what I'm talking about. What price are we talking about? What's the price for? Well, well, how much 
would, would it be, would it take for you to be willing to give up one of your kidneys? I mean, normal human beings, we are born with two kidneys, right? And apparently, according to doctors, you can live on one, so you can sell one, make money off it. How much would it cost for you to, to let go of one of your kidneys? A thousand dollars? Anyone? Ten thousand? Fifty thousand? Will you let go of one of your kidneys? Some fifty thousand, that's their price. Well, apparently in China, this is in China, a lot of things happen, strange things in China. You can buy a, pit, a kidney on the black market for about $35,000. $35,000 on the black market. Um, and, and there's this story about a guy, a boy, in fact, in 2011, this 17-year-old boy, he sold one of his kidney for something. He wanted to buy an iPad. He wanted to buy an iPhone. They were from a poor town, poor family. And so what he did, he looked up the internet and he discovered, hey, I can sell one of my kidneys for money. And that was what he did. He sold his kidney for $3,200. Now he walked home with his new iPad, iPhone. His mum discovered it and said, we are poor. Where did you get this from? This guy, he sold his kidney. His mum discovered he sold his kidney. And so parents, if your kids come home one day with an iPad, check that they've got their kidneys on them. If you can check. So everyone has a price. What do you think? Well, what about this? What about this? How much would it be? How much would it take before you would be willing to lend your womb, your uterus, for someone else's baby? Be a surrogate mother. How much would it take? So obviously I'm talking to women here. Only women have wombs, right? How much would it take? $10,000. 50,000. Anyone there? 100,000. Some? A half not? 200,000. Would you lend your womb for someone else's baby? Well, that sounds pretty crazy, right? But apparently this is booming business in many parts of the world, especially in the third world country where they're poor. And this is a, not exactly a quick way of making money. It takes nine months, but a sure way of making money. And so in India, there's, in India, the cost of surrogacy, it's $18,000 to $30,000. So you can pay someone that much and they'll have a baby for you. Save you the trouble. Save you the trouble. Well, what do you think? Everyone has a price. Everyone has a price. What about this? What would you be willing to do for fame, for riches, for wealth? What would you be willing to do for that? How about doing a deal with the devil? Selling your soul to the devil. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Sounds very strange. But apparently from my research, people, many people throughout history have admitted to doing deals with the devil, selling their souls to the devil. And so from that, they, they did get their riches and wealth and fame. And this is a story about this guy, St. Theophilus, in the 6th century. It's a legend, so it might not be true. But anyway, there's, the story goes that he, he made a deal with the devil. And from that, he became a bishop of a church. How ironic. Everyone has a price. What do you think? Do you have a price? If the price was right, would you do whatever that takes? Would you do it? Well, in our passage today, 
Satan confronts Jesus. Satan offers Jesus the whole world if Jesus would worship him. What did Jesus do? What was Jesus' price? So let's consider what's happening in this passage. So have your Bibles open. What's the context here? What do we hear last week when Pete, when Pete, uh, Pete preached? So just before our reading, we heard the story of Jesus being baptized. And as he came out, heaven, heaven was open, and a voice from heaven declared, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So that's what happened immediately before our story. Jesus was declared by God, This is the Messiah, my son, the one who will save people from their sins. But then something strange happens right after that. Have a look at verse 1 with me. So verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. What's going on there? He's just been declared the Son of God, and then he's led off by the Spirit of God into the desert to be tempted by the devil. What's happening here? What's going on? Now, now to understand what's happening here, we need to understand a bit about how language works. Now, when the Bible was translated into English, there are some words that are sort of lost in translation. Now, you might not know this, but the words to tempt someone and the word to test someone is in fact the same word in the Greek. One and the same word. It's actually the context that determines do you go for testing or tempting. And so they're like two sides of the same coin, to test and to tempt. Now, to test someone has this sort of positive nuance. So I might test someone hoping to strengthen them, strengthen their character. So, for example, I might want to test the character of my daughter, Esther. I might try to test her, hoping that she'll stand firm, she'll stand the test. So I might test her by putting a bowl of ice cream right next to her boring dinner. And I wanted to test her. I want to test her character to see if she will resist, if she will stand firm and not give in, give in, and so test her character, strengthen her character, strengthen her self-control. So there is that positive aspect of testing, of the same word in the Greek. Or there is also the tempting word, which is the negative aspect. So I might do, in that same event, same activity, putting the bowl of ice cream in front of my daughter Esther at the dinner table, but this time I might be trying to tempt her, hoping that she will fail, hoping that she would give in, and so give in to, to the temptation. And so you see the two words, to test and to tempt, What's happening in this story? They're from the same word. We have to decide what's happening in this story. We see what's happening here is, in fact, both of them are happening. You see, it's the Spirit of God that's leading Jesus to the desert. So in a sense, God has in mind to test his son. So what's this testing about? We see we have to think about the context. The context was just about Jesus being declared the Son of God. And so the testing is focused on what it means for Jesus to be the Son of God. And so God is testing Jesus to strengthen him as the Son of God, to strengthen him for his ministry, for what has he, he will face in his ministry. So that's on one side of the coin, God testing his Son to see what it means for him to be the Son of God, to strengthen him. But then on the other side of the coin, there is Satan there, the devil, tempting Jesus, hoping that he will fail as the Son of God, 
You see, what was Jesus meant to do as the Son of God? To save people from their sins. And so Satan is there trying to tempt him, hoping that he will fail to jeopardize his ministry. And so in this story, we see God testing, leading Jesus to the desert, but also Satan tempting. So we'll work through these three tests. So what's the first one? Well, we read in verse 2, after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Well, that's what happens when you fast, right? You get hungry. But it was at this point when Jesus was at his weakest, at this point when Jesus was vulnerable, that the tempter came. And what did the tempter do? Verse 3, have a look with me. Verse 3, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, what's wrong with that temptation? I mean, what's wrong with that? Jesus is the son of God. He had power and authority to do that miracle. Later on, he fed 5,000 people. So this would have been a piece of cake, changing stone into bread. And, And Jesus was hungry. That would have been a legitimate thing to do, wouldn't it? And so what's wrong with that? We see, we have to try to understand what the temptation of that is. What was the temptation? You see, Satan knew that Jesus could perform that miracle. But the temptation was this. Satan was going to Jesus, so, so you're the son of God. You're the one God declared as the son of God. Well, let's see your powers. Let's see what you're made of. Let's see the powers of the son of God. Let's see you turn that stone into bread. You see, he's trying to tempt Jesus and tempt Jesus around the, the idea of what it means to be the son of God. And so he's tempting Jesus to misuse his powers as the Son of God. And so what did Jesus do? How did he respond? Well, Jesus did two things. The first thing, well, he didn't do it. That was his first response. He didn't give in to Satan. He didn't give in to the devil. You see, Jesus was saying to Satan, I don't need to prove to you what it means to be the Son of God. I don't need to show my powers to you. I have the powers. I don't need to show it to you. It would be a bit like if my dad had a Porsche, gave me the keys. My dad doesn't, but if he did, gave me the keys and gave me all power and authority on how I would like to use this car, when I would like to use it. So I have that ability to use this Porsche to drive it around when I like and how I like. And then some guy comes along and says to me, well, why don't you, let, let me see, you're the son of your father? Well, let's see you drive that Porsche down the Eastern Freeway at 200 k's per hour. Let's see you do that. See, I don't need to do that. I have the power to use the Porsche how I like and to use it rightly according to my father. Wouldn't listen to a punk anyway. And so Jesus is saying, that's, that's ridiculous, I'm not listening to you. But then Jesus does answer. He responds with scripture. He says to Satan, even though I'm hungry, even though I'm starving. You see, man does not live on bread alone. We need more than physical food. And so verse 4 Have a look with me, verse 4. It is written. Now, when you hear this phrase, when you read this phrase, it means it's a quote from the Old Testament. So, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, that's the first test, first temptation. What's the scoreboard? Jesus is one, Satan is zero. So, what's the next one? Did Satan stop? Well, he didn't, did he? He persisted, didn't give up so easily. He's thinking now, well, Jesus used the Bible. I'll use the Bible too. And that's what he did. Look at verses 5 and 6. 5 and 6. 
Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, so the uh, the devil, quoting the Bible here, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift up you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So the devil, what's the temptation this time? What's he tempting Jesus to do? Well, well, what he is doing is he's using Psalm 91, where that passage is from, out of context, and he's actually saying to Jesus, well, if you are the Son of God, God has declared you as the Son of God, well, let's see that your Father loves you. Let's test him out. Jump off, jump off this building, and let's see if God will come to save you. Sounds like a silly dare, doesn't it? But how did Jesus respond? You see, Jesus knew that the Father loved him. God declared that at his baptism. This is my son, whom I love. Jesus knew that. He didn't have to test God to prove that. And that's what Jesus said. So you don't test God. Verse 7, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So that's the second temptation. What's the scoreboard now? Well, Jesus is up to... Satan is still zero. Satan didn't stop, did he? Didn't stop. He kept at it. Now he comes up with what he probably thought was his trump card. Now this time I will get this guy. So what did he do? Well, he takes Jesus up a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in all its splendor. And in verse 9 he tempts him. He says, all this I will give to you. Dandenong. Tasmania, New Zealand, all will belong to you, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me. So he's saying to Jesus, look, Jesus, just imagine what your life will be like. Forget carpentry. Forget being a carpenter. You know, forget working. Look at what you'll get. All of this. You can build your beach house by the side of the Sea of Galilee. You can build hospitals and universities and schools for all the poor kids. Look at all you would get if you worship me. You know, forget living that life that God has in store for you. I mean, what does your father have in store for you? A life of suffering. A life that will lead you to the cross. Forget all that. Have all this now. Now, what's the problem with that temptation? You see, firstly, Satan was tempting Jesus with something he already owns. The world belonged to Jesus already. But you see, the problem here, the problem of this temptation, was that it was to encourage Jesus to receive the world before its proper time, to bypass the suffering, to bypass the cross. You see, that was the temptation. Forget the suffering, forget the cross, forget the death. Have it now. That was Satan's temptation. Have it all now. But then something else was happening here. Satan was tempting Jesus to desire things, things in this world, things of this earth, more than his desire to obey and to worship God. That was a temptation. Love me, worship me more than your father. But then how did Jesus respond? Look at verse 10 now. He says, away from me, Satan. He cast Satan away. Now you just imagine If Jesus didn't say those words, you probably expect Satan to still be there at the fourth and fifth and sixth uh, temptation. But yet Jesus cast him away. And Jesus says, for it is written, 
Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So after that, Satan disappears. The angels come and, and attend to Jesus. Three temptations. What's the scoreboard? Jesus is up three. Satan is zero. But you see, what we're also seeing in this story is something, in fact, that's bigger than just those events. You see, Jesus in this story was showing what it means to be the Son of God. This is what it means to be the Son of God. Now, if you're an Israelite, you're a Jewish person reading this, you know in the Old Testament who were the Son of God in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, the Son of God were the nation of Israel. They were God's firstborn son. And all, on all of these three temptations, they failed. After they were saved from Egypt, they failed. They did not rely on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Instead, what did they do? They, they grumbled, they complained, they wanted food from God. They failed on the second point too. They failed to trust God, to, to, to not test God's love for them. And so they grumbled and complained for water. And also the third one, they failed there too. They did not worship the Lord their God alone. What did they do? Well, at the foot of the Mount, Mount Sinai, they melted gold together, built a golden cup, and worshipped that animal instead of God. So what we're seeing here is something actually quite significant. Jesus comes here as the new Israelite, the true Israelite, the true son of God, who succeeds where the nation of Israel has failed. So that's what we're seeing here, something extremely significant. So everyone has their price. What do you think about that statement now? Everyone has their price. Well, Jesus didn't. No price was high enough. Even the whole world was not high enough to cause him to be a Satan worshipper, to devote his life, his attention to Satan. No price was high enough to change that. Well, that's our passage. We'll work our way through. But now we must ask, how does this passage relate to us? I mean, what does it mean to us? What difference does it make for us today? That's a story about Jesus. We're here about 2,000 years later. What difference? I mean, if we think about these temptations, I don't think we've been tempted in this way, have we? Have we been tempted, anyone here been tempted, to change stone into bread? I mean, I've been hungry often, often. And especially when Yvonne's not home, I'm hungry. But I never get that temptation to change that chair into noodles. It's not a temptation for me. So, so we're trying to think, how does this relate to us? Or the second temptation. I've never been tempted in that way, to jump off a building and to think that God will send his angels to come and save me. I mean, if I jump off, I'll die. I've never been tempted in that way. Or the third one. I've never been tempted in that way too, where Satan appears and offers me the whole world if I worship him. Anyone been tempted in that way? And so we're trying to think, you know, that's a story that's about Jesus, but how does it relate to me? What difference does it make for my life today? Now, if you think this way, you see that these temptations were not meant to be about us. You see, these temptations here were meant to be and designed to be for the Son of God, designed to cause Jesus to fail as the Son of God, to cause him to give in as the Son of God. You see, if Satan succeeded there, he would go to God and would say, look at your son. 
He was just like every other human being. He's come as a man. Look at him now. Failed like Adam and Eve. Failed like the nation of Israel. Failed like everyone else. You see, these temptations were about Jesus as the Son of God, not about us. And so he could say to God, he can't save people from their sins. He was a sinner too. But of course we've seen that was not the case. Jesus did not fail at all. He succeeded where every other human being failed. And there was no price high enough for him to worship Satan. So if these temptations were designed for Jesus as the Son of God, how then does it still relate to us? What are we to learn from this passage? What are its implications for us today? Well, I want to suggest this today. Though we are not tempted as the Son of God, those of us who call ourselves a Christian, we in a sense belong to God in the same way as Jesus does. You see, when Jesus was baptized, God declared him as the Son of God. The moment when you believe, the moment when you first put your faith and your trust in Jesus as your Savior, as your Master, what in reality has happened was that God has declared you by adoption, the Son, His daughter. Yvonne, when you first believe, God declared you His daughter. Pete, when you first believed, God declared you his son by adoption. So you seeing that? Now, if we are to think this way, if we who believe are sons and daughters of God, if we are sons and daughters of God, what does this mean for us? Well, what this means is that Satan is out to get us. Satan is out to get you, to test you, to tempt you, to see well, let's see what it means for you to be a son or daughter of God. Let's see what that means. Let's see what your price is. He's out to get us too. So do you have a price? Is there a price that will cause you to compromise on what it means to be a child of God? Would there be a price that will cause you to compromise on what it means to be a son of God or a daughter of God? And look at Look at the world. The world is your oyster, Satan comes to you. If you just commit your whole life, every living moment of your life, every breathing moment of your life, to your studies, to your career, to your relationships, if you dedicate your whole life to those things, you can get what you want. You can get that million-dollar house in Surrey Hills. You can get that car you always dreamed of. You can set up your family, establish them well in this world. If only you set every living moment, every cell in your body to those things. But of course, if you want those things, if you really want those things, then you can't really take your faith seriously. Come on. Can't really take that seriously. Don't give it too much time. You're wasting your time. You commit to do stuff at church, in ministry. You commit your resources to to the course of the gospel. You know what will happen? The promotion will go to someone else. The better marks will go to someone else. So don't do that. Don't be so silly. Don't, I mean, leave those church stuff, crash, Sunday school, youth group, growth groups, missionary work, fate. Leave them to the old ladies. They've got plenty of time. But you, you see, if you want those things, you commit your life to those things. 
That's what you're living for. That's what you need to live. Not this word of God business. Man does not live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You need these things. You need that Porsche. You need that caviar. You need that lobster. You need that bacon. That's what you need. Forget the word of God. Oh, oh, your faith. Just keep it a personal thing. Don't be silly like those people who bash people with the Bibles. Keep it a personal thing. Don't let anyone know that you're a Christian at your school, at your workplace. Don't be silly. I mean, you want the respect of your peers, don't you? You want them to respect you. You want to look respectable. So don't be silly. Don't let anyone see you read the Bible in public. Don't let anyone see you pray in public. You're silly. You're silly. Keep it to yourself. So I want you to think about that. Do you have a price? Is there a price high enough that will cause you to compromise on what it means to be a child of God? I want you to think about that. And if you think about this, Jesus did not compromise, even though he was given the whole world. He was given given everything, and he did not compromise. But I want us to see how sad it is that we will be so willing and often compromising on things that are far less than the whole world, things in this world, things that are fleeting, far less than what Jesus faced, and we will be willing to compromise. How sad is that? But of course, we must remember the other side of the coin. We might be tempted by Satan, but we can still stand the test, you see. Never compromise on what it means to be a child of God. And so we can stand the test and we can show to people around us in our attitudes, in our actions, in our thoughts, in our words, that as important as my studies are, as important as my career is, as important as my relationships are, as important as my pleasures are, my honor are, my respect is, they are not more important than God because it's God alone I worship, not those things. So what is your price? Do you actually have a price? Well, it's my hope and prayer that none of us have a price, that nothing will cause us to compromise on worshiping God alone, on what it means to live as a child of God. Now, at the end of Jesus' life, in the book of Matthew, he was tempted once again, just like this temptation. But this time, Jesus was hanging there on the cross. And this time, it was the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They went to Jesus, and this is what they said. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. Let's see if you can do that. He saved others, but he can't save himself. You see, on the cross, Jesus showed what it meant for him to be the Son of God, and that is to save people from their sins. You see, he paid the ultimate price to win us for God. And so let's think about that statement at the beginning. Everyone has a price. What do you think? Well, you see, there is a price for your life. And that costs Christ his life. That's a cost so that you could become sons and daughters of God. And I want to end with this. Of course, if you are not yet a child of God, I would love to speak to you. 
And so I want you to, to enjoy heaven with the rest of us. Let's pray.